0: is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Well, it is 6 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 5th of October, 2020. This is episode two hundred ninety nine of Bitcoin, and I my throat, oh, my voice is probably going to just completely fail. I spent the better part of yesterday smoking a pork butt and a pork belly on oak uh, on oak wood, and uh, yeah, kind of feeling it this morning, man. Uh, I didn't think I was getting that much smoke. I was trying to stay away from it, but. I guess the cloud of smoke was, follow me around. So when my voice goes kaput, just be, you know, be prepared. Let's just, let's start the circus off right with talking about some yield farmers. We're going to meet the yield farmers who are plowing cryptocurrency's riskiest trend. <laughs> Great. This is going to be uh, Daniel Kari. He's writing for Coindesk. Uh, when? Oh, sometime this morning. One is a Grammy award-winning musician with lots of spare time. Another is a software engineer with nowhere to go during the pandemic. There's also an editor for a data site and a fund manager who invests in digital assets. What these people have in common is an obscure side gig known as yield farming, a type of cryptocurrency trading and investing that didn't really exist until 2020 yield farming is producing fixed income like returns that can at least for brief stretches provide an annualized interest (laughs) an annualized uh, interest rates equivalent to percentages investors cannot find anywhere else uh, for a very short time yield farming simply put is when cryptocurrencies uh, cryptocurrency holders Sock digital assets like Bitcoin and Ether, or dollar-linked tokens like Tether or Dai, into blockchain-based semi-autonomous lending and trading platforms in exchange for additional tokens as rewards. In the fast-growing sub-segment of the crypto industry known as decentralized finance or DeFi, yield farming offers a quicker and more lucrative way of making money than, say, parking extra dollars in J.P. Morgan Chase's savings accounts at a paltry zero point. Zero one percent interest rate. Yeah, well, at least they won't burn it to the ground when they're done with it, and that's saying a lot. J.P. Morgan Chase are a bunch of scumbags. But continuing, the yield farming DeFi boom started in June when the DeFi projects Compound and Aave launched. They were soon followed by Kyber Balancer and Yearn Finance. More creative names like Spaghetti, Tendies, and Sushi Swap followed. Partly because cryptocurrency traders. Realize they could make so much money simply from using the protocols. The growth has been staggering since June. These systems have mushroomed eightfold with a total of $11 billion of crypto collateral locked into them, according to DeFi Pulse. According to the site, DeFi Rate, it is possible to net an annual percentage rate of more than 53% APY staking crypto on lender Fulcrum, and sometimes much more... On new projects for those who get in early. But who are these yield farmers? Why have they flocked to this arcane corner of the digital asset industry? And how did they learn how it all works? Is it a full time or part time endeavor? How insanely risky is all this? Coindesk, in a m- manner almost as unethical as I can possibly imagine, apparently talked to several yield farmers to get their stories. Now, before I even even venture further down this stupid-ass path. This is all bullshit, okay? Yield farming is complete bullshit. Please, please, please do not read this as an endorsement. This is exactly why you should be staying away. The introductory language of this thing is fraught, fraught with difficulty And the kind of narratives of Ponzi schemes and the like. So not really totally happy with, you know, the guy that's writing this. But there's some stuff in here that may be of interest. I don't know. Andre Alan Anjos is the artist, and he's also known as RAC. He's a music producer and recording artist with over 2 million monthly listeners on Spotify, winning a Grammy in 2015 for Best Remixed Recording. I discovered Ethereum around late 2016, he said. In 2017, Anjos worked with the consensus-backed Uho Music to sell the first full-length album of music via Ethereum's blockchain. Fans sent Ether to a smart contract on the blockchain, and the album's files were hosted on the Decentralized Interplanetary File System, or the IPFS a distributed storage system, just as Agnus was getting involved in the cryptoverse. By 2018, cryptocurrency prices came crashing down. Interest in the space waned, but Agnus stuck with it. He learned about a DeFi project called MakerDAO and was quickly captivated by the concept of collateral locked into the software protocol to create dollar-linked stablecoins called DAI. That was my entry into what we call DeFi, Agnus said. At the time, there wasn't really a name for it. The irregular schedule... <clears throat> of a music maker lends on ample hours to explore yield farming. I'm obviously a musician. That's what I do full time because of my job. My day-to-day is pretty loose. I can kind of do whatever I want. You pull up Twitter and everyone's freaking out about yams, Anyo said, referring to one D5 field yield farming project that exploded in popularity in August before quickly flaming out once a bug was discovered in the unaudited software protocol. Spend a few minutes chatting with Anjos and it gets deep into the weeds pretty fast. He's fascinated by the stablecoin decentralized exchange curve. It's a pool of stable tokens and it's on a more efficient bonding curve, whatever the hell that is. Yield farmers like Anjos are able to reap trading fees from the exchange in return for providing their tokens as liquidity. Other cryptocurrency users can then borrow them to deploy in trades or even engage in another round of yield farming. Quote, Curve generates a fair amount of fees, which then go to the pool, which attracts more attention, Anjos said. But more recently, Anjos has become obsessed with a Curve copycat called Swerve. He recently tweeted that while his traditional bank account reduced savings account interest rates to zero, the project Swerve was offering 250% returns. The day tripper. You know what? We're not going to do that because these all. I've I've just. I wanted to read that first one. All these stories are the same. They're basically they're just kind of talking to like four, four or five different people, but they all have the same story and it's all the same narrative. Two hundred and fifty percent returns on. What? How to how to put this? My interest rates on say or like present interest rates on savings going to zero, then DeFi with a question mark and then. Third step is profit. Honestly, this is how they're sucking people in. Now, I'm, again, let's see, the author of this story is Daniel Kari. Daniel, you should be fucking ashamed of yourself. You should be absolutely ashamed of yourself for presenting this the way you're presenting it because there's two things. First of all, nobody, there's there's nothing about I, if staking my actual good Bitcoin so that I can buy tokens that generate other tokens because liquidity or the fees are going to quote unquote attract attention is, that's not finance. That's bullshit. It's, there's nothing about this that even remotely resembles actual finance, you know, like getting a loan from a bank so that you can expand your business. That's finance you know buying you know buying out or selling into a bond market with millions and millions of dollars while risky and stupid as well at least it's traditional finance there's nothing about defi that makes any sense and telling people at the top of the market which is the second point telling people at the top of this thing that they're going to look at 250% returns you should be ashamed of yourself dude the digital euro promises return free risk ah Abi nwasu is writing this one for btctimes.com history is littered with examples of companies that died because they failed to innovate but don't worry i'm not going to bore you by talking about xerox kodak and nokia the typical fodder for a thousand MBA courses around the world no i'm much more interested in those businesses that sparked into life right at the moment of technological change. The ones that thought they were harnessing the future burned brightly for a year and then suddenly faded into nothing because they just didn't grasp the true na- nature of the coming technological revolution. It's the difference between blockbuster and love film. The former failed to appreciate the seismic shift that streaming would have on the experience of watching films at home. Big deal. Better to have been a has-been than a never-was like the UK's love film. Sure. Sure. DVDs in the mail was a good idea for its time it's how Netflix started off remember but while LoveFilm continued sending DVDs through people's letterboxes Netflix was busy pushing a very different kind of envelope the lesson here is that it's never enough to notice that the rules of the game have changed you've got to understand what people value about the revolution and then fulfill that need so last week's announcement that the ECB was launching a public consultation on the experimental digital euro came with more than a whiff of love film. In fairness, they are not alone with many countries racing to do the same. These initiatives are not failures of ambition. They show an inability to understand what makes digital currencies valuable to users fiscally, emotionally, and practically. Take the obvious financial drawback of the proposed digital euro, which is that its value is firmly tied to the physical version. And that means it will share the same fate as any other fiat currency. It's worth eventually inflated away to nothing. High on its own hype and blind to the shortcomings of their proposal, the ECB has attempted to, quote, educate their half a million Twitter followers about their shiny new digital wealth distribution technology. Luckily, an army of Bitcoin meme artists, commentators, and pundits, and Jedi Knights have taken it upon themselves to counter the euro prop with some pro. wait, Agate prop of their own. Okay, I'm not familiar with that word. The consensus that the ECB is like dad doing the mashed potato at his daughter's 16th birthday party. He thinks he's got some sweet, timeless moves and can't work out why no one else is joining in. Judging from Twitter's reaction, the reason no one wants to dance with the ECB is because they just don't understand why people value Bitcoin. This is a currency that creates its own value, not a digital version of an already seriously disappointing project. (laughs) Meanwhile, Bitcoin guarantees users complete pseudonymity, which the ECB already seems to have ruled out for the digital euro. The digital euro is old-fashioned, value-sucking, inflationary fiat money dressed up as a cryptocurrency, a vampire that offers the prospect not of a risk-free return, but rather a return-free risk. (laughs) That's... That's not to say that it's not worth it all. Uh, I'm sure it will provide a useful case study of a uh, sounded good at the time initiatives for the future generation of MBAs. Uh, and then all of a sudden he goes into this, which is, I don't see exactly how it's related, but it's the birth of the Bitcoin battery. And it's in the same article. So let's let's see what Obi's having to say here. As if we don't have enough to worry about, 2020 is on track to becoming the second hottest year on record. Don't blame it on the sunshine and much less on the moonlight. Blame it on the Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the whipping boy of all sorts of societal ills. But when it comes to climate change, the detractors may have a point. Bitcoin mining accounts for a stunning 65 terawatts of electricity a year, about as much as the as Colombia or Algeria. That's a lot of CO2. Oh, God. OBG or it would be if energy grids were still powered by fossil fuels, the real energy problem we face today is how to manage the surge of power from renewables, which generate a glut of electricity during times of lower demand before trailing off right when we need it most. As Paul Amory points out in his fascinating new article, traditional energy grids are not designed for energy surplus and so find it particularly challenging to deal with excess generation as well as handling discrepancies between supply and demand. Some of the best minds in science are grappling with the problem of how to store renewable energy when it's needed and with potential solutions ranging from giant flywheels to Elon's battery farms. But now the penny is dropping that Bitcoin's proof of work mechanism far from being a terrible energy waster actually holds the key to utilizing this power surplus in a manner far more responsibly and responsibly than anything else that preceded it. In the words of Michael Saylor, CEO of MicroStrategy and recent acquirer of 40,000 Bitcoin, also known as GigaChad, quote, Bitcoin is the most efficient system in the history of mankind for channeling energy through time and space. It is literally the ultimate value and energy battery. Few understand now, but it will become clearer and clearer over time. And quote, Michael is right. These are the very early days. But the concept is brilliantly simple. Bitcoin mining provides a way to use up the excess flooding, excess energy flooding grids and using it to create something of value. And the idea, if the idea of energy stored as value sounds just a little too high concept. Remember how Bitcoin revolutionized the way we think about money? Why can't it do the same with something as relatively simple as energy markets? As for what it might look like in practice, take a peek at Marty Bent's recent tweet, which illustrates exactly how it's already being put into work by one far-sided energy farm and then they give uh Marty's tweet there. Um us and then there's basically it's a tweet of the video of a whole bunch of Bitcoin miners going whirr anyway he Obi ends this confusing one with Bitcoin is there nothing it can't do. Confusing simply because it seems like it was two completely different articles shoved under one banner about the about the uh digital euro. So what he says about the digital euro is almost, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, like it's, and this is what I keep saying is like all these digital currencies that are coming up uh, to compete with Bitcoin. And it's like, it can't because you have control over how much issuance there is. You have control over the total supply cap. I don't believe you. I don't trust you. I i literally just kind of want you to die because you you've, without putting too fine a point on it, there's no reason at all for this shit to be digital. I mean, honestly, it's already digital. I mean, like, what? 3% of the people in the world use cash, like, for 100% of their shit. And I don't think there's actually somebody who can actually use, except, well, I guess if you're, like, a bum or living under a bridge, you're pretty much using nothing but cash. But, I mean, even bills. I mean if if you if you pay a bill to somebody and they're like half a state away, what are you gonna do? Drive cash to them, put cash in the mail? No, you're gonna use some kind of debit card or some kind of digital digital transference mechanism, right? So it's just it's the thing about it is it's already digital. They're just wrapping their bullshit fiat currency in shiny new paper and selling it to you, and people are, I don't know. I don't I don't know if people are going to buy it or not, honestly. I really don't. So, anyway, let's uh let's let's get through it to the other one here. Uh people are now selling Reddit's Fortnite crypto for cash. Oh joy. Robert Stevens is writing this for decrypt.co. When? Let's see. Oh, it looks like yesterday <clears throat> regulars of the 1 million strong Fortnite subreddit can trade their crypto-based community points earned from contributions such as meme high-memes, high-quality contents, comments, and fan-made art for cash. Reddit has trialed cryptocurrency rewards on the community-run subreddit for Fortnite, uh, r rFortniteBR, as well as r/crypto Cryptocurrency since May. The subreddit's cryptocurrency, Bricks, runs on a test version of Ethereum known as RinkB. Testnet coins aren't supposed to have value. Indeed, you can request the RinkB version of Ethereum tokens for free. Still, it's possible to sell the bricks on a new decentralized exchange, HoneySwap. There, the coins have real value. Granted, not much. A single brick is worth $0.03 and a single transaction costs $8.89. The thing is, it's really complicated to sell these coins, and those transaction fees may not make it worth your while. It's also slightly easier, though still very complicated, to sell the moon cryptocurrency earned at our cryptocurrency. Because people have written software that makes the whole thing less of a minefield, the Fortnite experiment is more popular. Though, according to DAP Radar, thirty-six thousand seven hundred seventy brick holders have made sixty-five thousand two hundred ninety-one transfers on our cryptocurrency. There are seven thousand, uh, or at least, let's make that eight thousand uh, hodlers of moons and sixteen point seven four eight transfers. Selling bricks is far from simple, but here's the nuts and bolts of it per a guide on our cryptocurrency subreddit. First, send your bricks to your MetaMask wallet. MetaMask is a popular browser-based crypto wallet. You'll have to add brick as a custom custom token in your wallet using the following address and then the address is given. Second, you'll need to get some cryptocurrency to pay the gas fees. You pay gas fees to the network to process your transaction. For this, you'll need some rink B, ETH. Remember, you can get that for free and some XDI. XDI is a version of DAI, a dollar-peg stablecoin. This is a cryptocurrency whose value is equal, more or less, to the US dollar. You can swap die for XDAI. XDAI is the same as die, only it's based on the Ethereum sidechain. Good God Almighty, people. Third, you'll have to convert your bricks to tokens supported by the XDAI uh, sidechain. That means you'll have to convert them to XBricks. To do this, enter the B address for bricks in my Ether wallet and paste this in the ABI slash JSON interface. And then it's like, some code instead of spender put this there's a there's a a name for spender in the in the code okay and then they give this address this ether address and then instead of value enter the number of brick tokens that you want to convert to way way is a unit of ethereum gas one brick equals a whole bunch of way then click right and confirm the transaction on metamask then put the above contract just see this is just it goes on and on and on like this continue select an item pick relay tokens put your address in receiver and it, it goes then switch x add bricks honestly people it does not have to be this freaking complicated it's just this is why i bitcoin to get away from all this stupid crap man it's just dumb okay now If you are an American citizen, you'll probably never see a Bitcoin ETF in your lifetime. Why? Well, apparently we're prisoners because everybody else gets Bitcoin ETFs, just not Americans. Gibraltar Stock Exchange lists Canadian Bitcoin ETFs. Shah Romal was writing this for BTC Times sometime on October the 3rd. The Gibraltar Stock Exchange has listed a Canadian Bitcoin exchange-traded fund aimed at institutional investors in the European Union as per a release shared with the BTC Times called the Bitcoin Fund. The tradable product has or had previously been approved by the Ontario Securities Commission and is currently traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange. It is one of the world's first regulated and exchange-traded Bitcoin funds on a European regulated exchange, says 3iq, a Canadian investment fund manager and the issuer of the Bitcoin fund. Using an ETF for the purpose of Bitcoin investments allows investors to seek upside and hedge their money against fears of rising inflation in the global economy. Using ETFs instead of spot Bitcoin also eliminates the need to acquire hardware wallets to hold the currency. Fred Pye, the CEO of 3iq, said that the sovereign wealth funds, pension funds, And the many reputable financial institutions who are currently restricted to buying licensed, regulated crypto based ETFs can now access the Bitcoin product in a seamless and trusted manner. Quote Being listed on the Gibraltar Stock Exchange extends the reach of the Bitcoin fund within the burgeoning European digital asset market and continues the groundswell. Of momentum that has defined 3IQ's exciting progress during the first half of 2020, commented Pi on the fund's listing. U.S. based crypto platform Gemini will serve as the custodian of the Bitcoin held in the fund. Meanwhile, the ETF's listing was overseen by Aaron Pius, partner at law firm Hassans, and his team, the release said. Gibraltar has introduced various crypto regulations and aims to become a crypto friendly nation in the coming years. Some of its laws such as zero capital gains tax already support Bitcoin and cryptocurrency investments and are aimed at attracting both capital and talent to the country and they'll probably do so because I mean I I mean it even though Gemini is a US company, I can still I still can't take part of the ETF. Not not as a United States citizen. Not as far as I know. I haven't seen a I mean, like I said, this is the only thing I've seen that comes even anywhere close to an ETF, and the only reason it's close is because Gemini is hosting the actual Bitcoin that's being traded on the ETF, but I can't take part of it. Not that I would. I'm just, I mean, I can just go buy the actual Bitcoin, but dude, I mean, it's like being held hostage. Honestly, it's weird. Enterprise blockchains dominated by finance are highly centralized and slow to build, we kind of knew that alexander Behrens is going to tell us even more about it he's writing this for decrypt.co sometime yesterday corporate enterprise blockchains are centralized most likely about finance founder led and slow to build according to a study by cambridge second global the second global enterprise blockchain benchmarking study published late last month collected survey data from more than 200 established businesses startups central banks and other public sector institutions across 59 countries between july 2018 and June of 2019. One section of the survey focused on enterprise blockchain projects. These are decentralized ledgers of information that are similar to blockchains like Ethereum, but built to handle more sensitive data and corporate or support corporate scale applications. Analyzing 67 live enterprise blockchain networks, Cambridge found. That financial projects such as efficient order clearing and record reconciliation comprise 43% of projects in production, and they're slow to build. The researchers found that it took an average of 25 months for projects to go from proof of concept to deployment, and that larger networks could take more than four years to build. Enterprise blockchains are far more centralized than their public domain counterparts. This means that instead of thousands of anonymous nodes and miners securing the blockchain, one or just a few nodes agree on the contents of the new blocks in the existing chain which is why you should stay as far as you can away from these things so-called permissioned blockchains which provide more control over the blockchains and a level of secrecy are important in industries where data headed for the blockchain are considered by some participants to be trade secrets raising concerns that centralization will allow leading entities to gain an unfair advantage and potentially block data uh, contributors from accessing the aggregated results. Businesses building blockchain systems to coordinate supply chain shipments or import arrivals, for instance, may sell their logistics data to to adjacent industries and macro-level economic analysts. Cambridge researchers found that more than 80% of enterprise blockchain projects used a single service, Often a working group or a subsidiary, they manage themselves to host the majority of their hardware like nodes and miners. But the platforms often rely on existing tried and tested technology to build their projects. 48% rely on IBM's Hyperledger Fabric, a sort of customizable blockchain framework designed for enterprise use cases. A similar product from R3 Coda powers about 15% of reported enterprise development. The Cambridge report found market leaders developed more than 70% of enterprise blockchain projects in the hopes that other companies in their industry join. Industry consortiums, or groups of businesses in the same industry, started 22% of enterprise blockchain projects, and just over 5% were started by government institutions. Being founder-led allows some enterprise blockchain projects to develop at a faster pace but they can have difficulty attracting, attracting competitors to their platform who may feel concerned about the long-term consequences of letting their rivals hold the reins. What does this all mean? Corporate blockchains are just, they we knew that they were dumb and it's becoming very evident that they're dumb. And the last people that will probably be informed at just how stupid this all is, are the companies that actually wanted to have the blockchain project built in the first damn place. They're the first ones in and likely they're going to be the last ones out. Let's run the numbers. Well, let's have a look at energy futures. Everything is up. We're all saved, apparently. <coughs> Oil having, having a, actually, everything's having a banner day, man. West Texas Intermediate's up 4.5%. Brent North Sea's up 4%. Natural gas is almost up 4%. And something called Arbob gas is up damn near 5%. Uh, however, metal futures are meh. Gold's actually down a quarter for per, a percent. Its price is going to be like $1,903. Silver's at 24 bucks. Platinum's at $887. Damn, that shit, man. Uh, index futures. Oh, we're saved. Apparently, apparently, Orange Man is getting better, so I guess we're we're going to be all right. Uh, Dow futures is up three-quarters of a point. S&P is up three-quarters of a point. NASDAQ futures is up damn near a full point, as is the S&P mini real money coming up. Bitcoin at $10,690. My high is going to be at 10,702. My low is going to be over at hit BTC at 10,686. 291,000 transactions were performed in the last 24 hours. That's 12,000 transactions on average per hour. Finally, God, we, you know, finally, honestly, I've been waiting for this. Only 1.6 million BTC has been sent in the last 24 hours, right? For like four straight weeks, it's been like at 2 million, 2.8 million, 2.5 million. It's about damn time they got something under control here. That's about 70,000 BTC being sent on average per hour. Average transaction value is 5.7 BTC, while the median transaction value is nominal at 0.032, or about 337 bucks. Block times are low, 9 minutes and 21 seconds. We have 0.4 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, 62.29 BTC being taken in fees overall. In the last 24 hours, 0.39% uh, percent to the upside hash rate increase. That puts us at 146.5 exahashes per second. God, Ethereum at 352, Bcash at 219, Litecoin at 46, BSV at 160, Ethereum Classic at $5.38, Doge at 0.0026. I swear to God, Doge is like the most stable shit coin on the face of the planet. 38,908 transactions in the last 24 hours puts it over Ethereum Classic and very much over Bcash, who only has. 16,600 transactions. That's just sad. And let's get into what Clark Moody says about a whole bunch of stuff. He's seeing 10,670 as the price. We have 1,110.5 BTC in the Lightning Network. That's about $12 million worth of capacity there. That's over 7,584 nodes uh, coming in with 37,736 channels. Percentage of Tor capacity is at 49.6%, so that means we have 551.2 BTC on the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that's being run over 2,477 nodes. That's going to do it for vitals. Part two of the morning roundup. We'll start this one with why Bitcoin miners don't use more reliable uh, or rather more renewable energy. David Hollerith is writing this for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. Though 76% of proof of work miners say they use renewable energy as part of their fuel mix, renewables comprise just 39% of the total energy consumption of the world's cryptocurrency miners, according to a survey by Cambridge University Center for Alternative Finance published late last month. To mine cryptocurrency, computers race to solve complex computational puzzles. They're not all that complex. They're just whatever. Since brute force is the only way of solving these puzzles, only the most powerful and therefore most power hungry computers make a profit. The Cambridge, <clears throat> Cambridge's Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index estimates that Bitcoin miners use 7.55 gigawatts worth of electricity per year. An alternative metric produced by Digiconomist estimates that Bitcoin mining produces a carbon footprint comparable to that produced by Denmark and an energy consumption that re- rivals Colombia's. From a pool of 280 major crypto companies in 59 countries, Cambridge's survey shows that 62% of mining companies say they used hydroelectric power to power cryptocurrency miners. 17% said they used wind. 15% use solar, and 8% incorporated geothermal power. However, the survey also shows that the total energy consumed from cryptocurrency mining, only 39% comes from renewable energy sources. The other 61% come from non-renewable energies such as fossil fuels like coal. Oh my God, we're all going to die. According to Cambridge's Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index, or the SEBSI, The Asian Pacific region produces 77% of Bitcoin's hash power. And according to the survey, 65% of hashers from that region said they relied equally on hydroelectricity and coal. This is because Chinese mining companies rely on cheap hydroelectric power in the wet season of Sichuan province. And then, oh, sorry, then up sticks... What? Then upsticks once the dry season starts in October and relocate to colder provinces like Zhejiang, where they rely on fossil fuels, but skimp on cooling cost. Alex DeVries, founder of DigiEconomist and creator of the Bitcoin Energy Consumption Index, told Decrypt, quote, Bitcoin miners would probably love to have access to cheap, ac- cheap excess of renewables like this throughout the whole year but the reality is that those excesses simply aren't there outside of the summer period devries said that the climate change could make the cheap hydroelectric power of sichuan less attractive to miners since shifting rainfall patterns uh, droughts and floods make it difficult to get a steady supply of cheap electricity quote it should not come as a surprise that we actually see (coughs) sorry Significant increases in mining activity in fossil fuel dependent countries like Kazakhstan and Iran. He said, as Cambridge found, those regions powered 10% of the Bitcoin hash rate, according to data from September. Quote Bitcoin mining is 24 7 operation all year long. They require both cheap and consistent energy. You'll simp- you're simply not going to get that from renewable energy sources alone, he said. In places like Kazakhstan and Iran, which offer cheap fossil fuels. Miners can obtain cheap energy all year round. A chart from Digiconomist illustrates this point. Miner competition and less cost efficiency has made Bitcoin mining less green over time. Unless energy-intensive mining algorithms are developed or breakthroughs in renewable energy is discovered, the environmental footprint of Bitcoin mining will only get worse. You know, I... No. I just... It's... you're talking, he's talking about a possibility, not a foregone conclusion. Okay, so just yeah, don't worry about it. But yes, people are still getting their panties in the twist about Bitcoin mining and energy usage. And I mean, if you're so concerned, honestly, if you're so concerned that Bitcoin uses as much energy as Denmark, then you just get rid of Denmark. No, 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 I'm just kidding. If you're listening in Denmark, I love Denmark. Never been there. Here it's nice. Bitcoin use rise in Egypt. Wow. Amid economic recession, Hussein Hashim is writing this one for Cointelegraph.com sometime way last night. As the COVID 19 pandemic pushed the Egyptian economy into recession and deepening unemployment, more and more Egyptians see the benefit of trading and mining Bitcoin as an alternative source of income. According to Al Monitor, Many Egyptians, particularly young people, are interested in cryptocurrencies. Wei al-Nas, a, an economist and financial advisor to several investment institutions in Egypt, said, quote, Many young Egyptians started investing in small amounts despite the increase in the value of Bitcoin. Yeah, that number go up technology is why they started investing small amounts. Dude, They started mining Satoshis, which is 100 millionth of a Bitcoin. And on a daily basis, they are making profits of 4 to 5% from the difference between buying rates during the timing of demand decline and selling rates at the time of peak demand based on some quarterly or yearly profits from unexpected hikes in Bitcoin rates. So they're what? They're buying the bottom and selling the top? Good luck, because that shit don't last for long. Unemployment in Egypt jumped from 7.7% during the first quarter of uh, 2020 to 9.6 during the second quarter, meaning that half a million Egyptians have lost their jobs. Recent numbers of the from the Egyptian Central Agency of Public Mobilization and uh, Statistics said Bitcoin trading now looks very attractive. Mohamed Abdel Basir, a Bitcoin miner and member of the Bitcoin Egypt community, said other factors also made it easier for people to turn towards Bitcoin. He said the move to work from home, reducing working hours and new curfews, encouraged many Egyptians to invest in Bitcoin in their spare time. He estimated more than 16,000 Egyptians have joined the Bitcoin Egypt community. However, he noted this number could be higher as people may teach their friends and family how to invest in cryptocurrencies. But while more Egyptians became interested in mining and trading uh, cryptocurrencies, many are still concerned that people could be targeted and accused of fraud without proper legislation. A law clarifying what activities can be considered legal or not around cryptocurrencies could come soon, TM, according to experts. Says, yes, they'll tell you about it soon. I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting that we're seeing, like, now it's Egypt. You know, what had been, you know, pretty much looking solely at uh, Central and South America and the continent of Africa as you know, the real up-and-comers, but it seems more and more evident that they may all be outpaced by the Middle East. You never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen in this world. KuCoin CEO claims that uh, the hacking suspects have been identified. Oh, they've already gotten the police involved. Oh, goody. Amelia David is writing this for Cointelegraph sometime on o- October the 3rd. As the fallout from the hack... On its platform continues, KuCoin said it has identified suspects and have now officially involved law enforcement into the investigation. Uh, CEO Johnny Liu tweeted on October the 3rd that the exchange now had substantial proof that identifies who hacked the service on September the 6th. Let's see what he says. A quick update since my last live stream. After a thorough investigation, we have found the suspects of the the 9.26... KuCoin security incident with substantial proof at hand, law enforcement officials and police are officially involved. Okay, so he's talking about September the 26th. Liu added that as of October the 1st, KuCoin has managed to wrestle another $64 million in assets from suspicious addresses with the help of its partners in the industry. This brings the total value of recovered assets to $204 million. The exchange is also slowly coming back to full functionality, says Liu and has reopened deposit and withdrawals for 31 tokens. Services for Bitcoin, Ethereum, and USDT will follow. So that shit's still closed. Interesting. The KuCoin hack is the first major case of a decentralized exchange being used to launder funds. It's estimated that around $200 million in assets were stolen, but analysts fear more tokens could have been compromised. So, I don't know, you know, not much scant information in there as to actually who done it. But uh, their KuCoin's definitely saying that they've got somebody in mind or a group of people in mind. So it'll be interesting to see what falls out on the other side of that one. Let's see here. Oh, oh, Pro Crypto Pack is giving fifty dollars in Bitcoin to the campaign of each member of Congress. Okay, that's a lot of money though when you add it all up. Because that's like what five hundred and forty some some odd people, something like that. That's, I mean, multiply that by 50. That's, that ain't exactly, you know, something to sneeze at. Still, though, 50, 50 bucks a piece, it's probably going to be wasted. Uh, Jaspreet Kalra is writing this one for Coindesk.com. If your elected representative uh, to the U.S. Congress has never heard of cryptocurrencies, how do you start telling them about it? Hoping to raise awareness, blockchain advocacy group. Chamber of Digital Commerce's Political Action Committee wants to start by contributing $50 worth of Bitcoin to the campaign of each Congress person. Announced on Monday, the advocacy group said under its new Crypto for Congress initiative all members of the United States legislative body would receive campaign contributions in Bitcoin. According to the group's founder, Ann Boring, this is an attempt to raise awareness and give Congress people a chance to interact with blockchain technology and digital assets. In addition to the contribution, the Chamber's pack will also provide online trading and a toolkit to help members of Congress engage with cryptocurrencies. God, it would be hilarious if they just all fell into DeFi and just started getting wrecked one after another. I would love to see that. Not because I like DeFi, but just because it would be funny to see it get wrecked immediately. One of the biggest challenges we've always had is people just don't really understand what the heck it is that we're talking about, said Boring. She added that letting senior government officials interact with crypto assets through such an initiative could aid the group's advocacy efforts for an industry that faces multiple public policy challenges such as taxation and regulatory jurisdiction. According to the group, once informed about the contribution, the representative's campaign can either accept it, pass it on to charity that accepts Bitcoin, or just opt out. Quote, Crypto for Congress brings an opportunity for our entire congressional community to, to join this generational shift in finance and technology, said Representative Tom Emmer, chairman of the National Republican Con- uh, Congressional Committee, in an emailed statement. Emmer is widely regarded as one of the most pro-crypto members of Congress. Uh, boring ads or added that all the Bitcoin being given away as contributions has been mined in the United States, uh, but... Ba- by its United States-based tech partners, Core Scientific and Luxor, quote, we're getting clean Bitcoin that was mined here. That, there's something, I mean, that last part, you know, probably few understand, but there's two things about that. That Bitcoin will never, ever, ever tell you exactly where it was mined. I'm not saying she's wrong. I'm, I'm saying, I mean, like in the future, those particular Bitcoin, those particular UTXOs, uh, will not. Pro- uh, well, I guess they could tell you, but if and only if, like Luxor and Core Scientific, when they actually mine the the when they mine the block, they get the coin base. If they are up and identified, uh, they will probably go down as being like you know, oh, forever and yawn, being the people that actually mine that coin. But in the future, will we know that they were actually doing it in the United States? It's that kind of stuff is really kind of hard to tell. But two, you know, it's it's kind of important to note that they're using the same trick that they always use. Oh, this is United States mind Bitcoin. Go team. There is there's no team here. It's only Bitcoin. However, you prob they probably we probably have to actually go the whole raw team thing to get this stuff pushed through. I, I'm just. I'm just saying, it's like, it's sort of like, I'm seeing like some of the old tricks being, you know, pasted onto a new thing. And honestly, I think Bitcoin is, it doesn't really need it, but that's what's going to happen. The last thing that I'm going to talk about here is that Bitcoin options open interest sets a brand new high and it's sparked by rising liquidity and a Narud Tirwari. Sorry, man. Anyway, he's writing for Cointelegraph sometime yesterday. Uh, Let's see. Bitcoin options open interest hit all-time high of $2.14 billion on September the 24th. Wow. A day before a huge quarterly expiry of 89,100 contracts or 47% of existing option contracts at the time. Options are derivative contracts that give the holder the right, though not the obligation, to purchase or sell an underlying asset at a predetermined price, also known as the strike price. Observing the OI trends before every monthly and quarterly expiry, there are spikes just before the date of expiry, and they have been incremental after each expiry, pointing towards the toward the increased liquidity in the Bitcoin BTC options market and an increasing number of investors participating. Since the past expiry was a quarterly expiry for quarter three, it was expected that the open interest would surge past the OI seen in the prior monthly expiries of the same quarter. Cointelegraph discussed this further with Sean Fernando, the head of risk and product strategy at Deribit, a crypto derivatives exchange, who agreed by saying that, quote, the trend of open interest increasing every quarterly expiry signifies a trend of an increase in liquidity and options, further adding, quote, the longer an expiry exists for, the more the open interest can increase as traders take positions in that expiry. So the March 2021 expiry was introduced at the end of June, which gives it more time for positions to be created on than a daily expiry, which would generally have two days of existence, Hence, quarterlies are correlated in open interest. End quote. Besides high OI being related to the liquidity of options and the increased number of market participants, they could also be driven by larger macroeconomic events within the crypto market, such as decentralized finance hype and long-term effects of the Bitcoin having on the markets. Linux lie... The director of financial markets of OKX Crypto Exchange echoes this evaluation while addressing the reason why there is an immediate drop in OI immediately after the expiration. Quote Open interest is normally correlated with expected uncertainty in events that are expected to have a fundamental impact on the price of the underlying. So the OI on September's expiry is reasonably larger because of the major industry impacting event. Of the third Bitcoin having. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, imp- the industry impacting event of the third Bitcoin having in May and overall DeFi hype, and so the larger OI reflects investors' needs to hedge with options over the past few months. The drop in OI afterward indicates that such a need for that type of event based risk management is comparably smaller now. The increasing trend in open interest in BTC options. Seems to be a positive sign for things, better things to come for the crypto derivatives market, according to Lie. Quote: Indeed, the sign of the increasing open interest potentially reflects that more participants are entering the market. Furthermore, any additional stimulus to the market can set up an aggressive stage for BTC options. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, I don't trade any of that. I don't. I don't do options. It's not for me. I honestly. I, I mean, if you're just like straight up, you know, Joe Blow retail, this is, this kind of thing is not for you. This is more on the industrial side. But, you know, nevertheless, it looks like the options market are starting, options markets have just started or not just started, have just been continuously going up. I mean, it's a, it's part of the number go up technology, I suppose. But anyway, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. I met a Jewish barista the other day. Hebrew. Yeah, stuff like that you got to pass off real quick, man. It's a good one, though. I mean, come on. Probably considered completely racist. But at this point, I'm so tired. So tired of outrage culture and people getting pissed off at the drop of a hat. Uh, Also, today is just boring. Oh, I was looking at my Twitter feed earlier today, and I even said something about it. I mean, this is the kind of boredom that will drive somebody to DeFi. <laughs> you know what? I've got to cut my losses. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.